I want to tell you, this is strange, and it's true. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is, this is true. You know those saying that truth is stranger than fiction? <clears throat> this is, uh, you may have heard before of dogs being able to, to sniff and find, to be able to help their owner realize that the, uh, the owner has some kind of disease. I mean, that, that has happened. Well, in Michigan, a, uh, a family, Jerry and Rosie, owned a little uh, terrier named Kaika. Kaika uh, actually sniffed out a disease and performed a surgery on Jerry one evening. The story, it was in the Grand Rapids Press, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Kaika smelled an infection in his owner's right big toe and set about amputating it, which in doggy terms, of course, means he ate it. Now, it's kind of disgusting, but it's interesting. All the while, Kaika's owner, Jerry, lay passed out drunk uh, from drinking too much beer and too many margaritas, which Jerry said he felt no pain. Jerry awoke to find a bloody stump where his big toe used to be, and he and the dog rushed to a hospital there in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There they discovered that Jerry actually had type 2 diabetes and was suffering from a dangerous infection in his big toe. Doctors finished the job that Kaiko had started and amputated what was left of his toe. Jerry's wife, a registered nurse, had suspected her husband had diabetes and insisted he get it checked out. But before he did so, he had a few beers and a few margaritas, went home, passed out, and Kaiko began to work on his toe. And that is a true story. I want to tell you, if your dog has ever chewed off one of your toes, you might be a redneck. Amen? And I, and I saw a picture of this couple sitting with their dog, and the guy's foot's wrapped up. It's like, it, you know, good puppy. I don't know about you, but when I went to sleep, that dog would be outside. Because, like, if I had a stomach infection, you'd wake up, and the dog might be chewing on your intestine. I mean, that's, incre- that's strange, isn't it? You know, the book of Judges is strange, too. It it, it really is. It's bizarre. We're going to be in Judges chapter 7 this evening. And in Judges chapter 7, we're going to see a strange story. Again, this is one of those stories you may have heard growing up in Sunday school. But it's a great story. It's a great story for you and me about about life. And it, it begins, we're going to begin with this. God's ways may seem strange at times. And that's not heresy. It's not, it's not a, an evil thing to say that God's ways may seem strange to us at times, but they, they do for those who are observant. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that's Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Now, remember Gideon is the leader of Israel. The Israel are the good guys in the story. The Midianites are the bad guys. They for seven years have been beating down Israel. God has raised up this passive 
a little bit tentative, almost cowardly uh, leader Gideon to be the, the military man to go to fight these people. Now, here's what the odds were at this point. We find out in chapter 8 that the Midianites and the Amalekites were teamed up in this valley. There were 135,000 of them. And at this point, there's 32,000 Jewish people. Some of you are engineers and very good in math. 135,000 versus 32,000. The odds are not in the Jewish people's favor, correct? And God says, Gideon, you got too many people. I don't know about you, but when I'm praying and I hear stuff like that, that's when I say, come again, God. <laughs> don't you know Gideon said, uh, yeah, do what, <laughs> Lord? Uh, and, and God wasn't finished is the, the scary thing about this. In verse 3, he tells him how they're going to pare this group down. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. Wow. 135,000 verse 32,000. Now it's 135,000 verse 10,000. Now it's, it's, it's interesting. In the Jewish Old Testament law, you can go back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 20 and see some of this. There was actually four reasons a soldier would not have to go to battle. If he just got married, he was given some time to be with his wife before he'd have to go to battle. If he was building a home, uh, he would not have to go to battle. If he was taking care of basically the agricultural life uh, line for his family, he didn't have to go. And in Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, if he was chicken, he didn't have to go. I'm not saying, I, I'm sure I would have been one of those 22,000. That, you know, basically, God knew that a person who was afraid or who was negative can be more of a pull on the army than a help on the army. And so this was a, a, a biblical thing. Gideon, I'm sure, fingers crossed, going, don't go, don't go, don't go. But God said, if you want to go, you can. And here goes 22,000 of your 32,000. How many of you, are, if you're Gideon right now, are in panic prayer mode? You would be if this was you. And God is not finished yet. <laughs> Verse 4 through 7, the Lord said to Gideon, there are stu- still too many men. I'm sure God, Gideon's saying, God, are you looking at the same group I'm looking at? God was, by the way. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them there for you. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go, he shall not go. So Gideon took the man down to the water. There the Lord uh, told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths, and the rest got down on their knees to drink. 10,000, 300. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let the other men go each to his own place. So here's what's going on. They, they get to the water and God says, okay, you got 10,000. We got to pare it down. Gideon's probably thinking God's going to knock off about 25. So what they do is, is and this sounds strange to me, but apparently... Over 9,000 of the men got down in the water like an animal would. They just put their face in the water to drink. The other ones knelt down probably like most of us would and did the water like this, right? And God said the ones that did the water like this, are that's the ones that you want to keep. By the way, that was only 300 of the 10,000. Some scholars say that that God looked at that. Those were people who were more attentive. They're going to be more alert if they go into battle because they, they kept their heads up while they were looking. I don't know. We don't know for sure. All we know is that Gideon had 32,000, and now he's got 300. How many of you, again, think God 
it operates in some strange ways. I'm not going to read, just for time's sake, verses 8 through 15, but let me tell you what they say in summary. I think Gideon was feeling a little bit of the, the jitters. And by the way, God didn't give Gideon the option of being a coward going home. He couldn't pull the Deuteronomy 20 and say, God, I'm chicken, I'm leaving. He couldn't do that. And so what God said, he said, Gideon, I want you to go down to the, to the Midianite camp, and I want you to listen, kind of spying. And you're going to hear a man tell a story about a dream he had. And that dream is basically of you and the Israelites coming in and destroying them. Gideon went down, and he heard that dream, and he left worshiping God, is what it said, praising God, because he knew God was saying to him, you're going to win the battle. You're going to win the battle. Let's pick up the story in verse 16. Still gets weird here. Dividing the 300 men into the three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Okay, you're fixing to go to battle. There's only 300 of you. There's 135,000 of them. I want a machine gun, correct? Okay, this is before machine guns. So you go, I want the fastest shooting arrows and bow and arrow I can have, right? And I want to have multiple spears. I want to be on a camel or a donkey. I want to have knives that I can pull out at any point. And I want to have real good shoes on where I can run when I have to. Correct? God says, okay, here's your, your weapons for war. And you go, well, these might be good in a street fight. They weren't going in a street fight. They were fighting in a military campaign. And God says, put your swords and all that aside. I want you to take a clay jar. I want you to take a ram's horn, which is the trumpet. And I want you to take a torch. What they would do is they would take these torches and they would dip them in pitch and basically kind of light them and they would put them inside these clay jars and they would smolder. And then when the time came, they'd pull them out and they would flare up. So now God has told them, there's 300 of you, 135,000 of them, and you're going to go beat them with clay jars, a torch, and a trumpet. How many of you think God is coming across a little bit different at this point? There was a father in his family, had two little kids and his wife. They were going, and they lived in a big city. They were going to another place across town, didn't really know where to go. They got off the the main interstate, and they ended up in kind of a rough part of town late at night. The dad was scared, and he let his wife know that he was a little concerned. He didn't have any kind of weapon or anything in the car. And one of the kids in the back seat, the kids back there were eating something. One of the kids said, Daddy, we got broccoli, and we know how to use it. I'm going to tell you what, if I came upon an attacker and they brought broccoli at me, I would surrender. I'm convinced right now in hell they're having cabbage and broccoli. In heaven they're having ice cream, right? No calorie ice cream. Now, some of you who love broccoli, that's not a, you can love broccoli. I'm just teasing. Don't get uptight about that. But, but fighting off a bad guy with broccoli is about the equivalent of fighting off a, a military soldier uh, with a, a, a torch, a clay jar, and a trumpet. That's where God had left them. Verse 17 through 20, watch me, Gideon said, follow me. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 19, Gideon and a hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands. 
The three companies blew their trumpets, smashed their jars, grasping the torches in their hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. In the middle watch of the night, uh, Jewish people divided their, wa- their night into three different watches. Now, uh, scholars differ. It could have been this was from 6 to 10, from 10 to 2, and from 2 to 6. Or it could have been from 8 uh, or, or like 8 to midnight, midnight to 4, 4 to a.m. So we don't know. It was, it was in the middle, early part of the middle watch. So it was either a little after 10 or a little after midnight that they come down here. And this is how they pursue 135,000 well-armed, well-trained bad guys. This is strange, isn't it? I want to tell you this evening... God, if you're following God, the reason some of us haven't experienced this, we just haven't followed God, truthfully. If you follow God, God is going to lead you to do some things that are going to seem humanly very strange, that aren't going to make sense, that your family may not agree with or understand, that your friends may not agree with or understand, and that you won't agree with and understand. And that's fine because he's God and I'm not. He's God and you're not. If God's ways don't seem a little bit strange and odd, you're not following God. If you've got it all figured out, you're not following God. Are you following me? No, you're not. Are you following me? I read this week that that the the best supercomputers in the world, this is going to make you sick when you go home tonight and it takes you 15 minutes for your computer to get to the next website. The best supercomputers in the world can do over a quadrillion calculations per second. A quadrillion is 10 with 15 zeros at the end of it. Do you get that? I want to tell you, a supercomputer doesn't have anything on God. God's operating on a plane that you and I aren't on. God, listen, God knew the score when Gideon didn't know the score. Always remember in Isaiah 55, it says, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heaven are above the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, may have said it as well as anybody. He said, a gnat flying to the ocean and trying to drink the Pacific Ocean is like us trying to understand God. We can't do it. As a church, if we push the envelope and follow God... Sometimes it's going to seem strange. Sometimes churches and Christians want to live in comfort land when God wants to take us to the promised land. And the promised land, the route sometimes is strange. Here's the second thing. God wants us to trust him. This is the biggie. What was God, first of all, wanting Gideon to do? He was wanting to trust him. God, you want me to go fight 135,000 people with 32,000? God said, no. I want you to go fight 135,000 with 300. You read the Bible, God loves to be trusted. You ever notice that? God loves to be trusted. God, you want us to go to war? And God, our weapons are a clay jar, a torch, and a trumpet. We're going to go fight another band? I mean, what is he talking about? God's saying, I want you to trust me. Listen, folks, 
What God wants from our church, what God wants from you, what God wants from your family, is God wants you to trust Him. So I don't understand. You don't have to understand. Say it doesn't make sense. You don't have to have it figured out. There's things in the Bible that don't make sense. God wants you to trust Him. There's things the Holy Spirit is going to want you to do. You trust Him. There's circumstances and situations in your life that are messed up, are going to be. What you do is you hang on to God and you trust God. See, that's, it's hard in Ruston because we're smart, or y'all are smart. I'm not. We're educated. We got enough money to make us dangerous. And if we can't figure it out or it doesn't make sense to us, then it shouldn't take place. Proverbs 3, 5. Read this with me. And lean not what? God wants us to trust Him. This isn't going to be on the screens, but write this down if you're taking notes. Hebrews eleven six. it says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. Because anyone that comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Folks, it's not, it's not possible for First Baptist to please God without trusting Him. It's not possible for you or your family to please God without trusting Him. God was pushing Gideon to the world of uncomfort, but God was saying, Gideon, trust me. God's saying to you and me this evening, trust me. Here's the third part. God wants us to obey Him on His terms. Folks, Gideon's trust was only proved by his actions, wasn't it? In James chapter 1 and 2, in the the New Testament, James says, faith without works is okay. Faith without works is pretty good. Faith without works is sincere. No, he says, faith without works is, it's dead. It's non-existent. Now, some people say, well, is James saying that you're saved by works? No, he's saying that your works prove that you're saved. Your works proved as a Christian you trust God. What we do is, is what proves that we really do believe God. God was telling Gideon these things, not so Gideon would go back and, let's break down the Hebrew words and discuss this in our next Bible study. Let's get a men's group together and a committee and pray about this. God said, Gideon, this is what I want you to do. Do it. Faith causes us to have to act at some point. How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? I have not been to Niagara. Everybody's seen Niagara. We got a picture of a tightrope walker at Niagara Falls. Can you see that mentally challenged person? In the 1800s, there was a famous tightrope walker named Blondin. And Blondin would, would, would go up to Niagara Falls, and he would walk across there frequently, and he would always draw a crowd. I don't know about you, I would go watch somebody do that, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, you, you would probably. And so Blondin was up there, and he walked across. He walked across several times. He got a wheelbarrow, and he pushed it across. And then he got he asked the crowd, he goes, how many of you believe I can put somebody in a wheelbarrow and push them across? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
How many of you believe I can do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who will volunteer to do that? No, no, no. See, we're like that with God, aren't we? Man, I believe God. Listen, First Baptist, we're going to trust God. You're going to trust God. Your family's going to trust God. But then we don't obey God. We don't trust God. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why some people don't go to church like they should. One, it's just they don't know better. They just don't come. Two, they're just disobedient. Listen, we live in, we live in Ruston where there's 194 churches per block. 75 to 80% of our town is not in church every week. Did you know that? We don't need more churches. We need more people in churches. Parts, listen, here's, here's one thing with, with churches. We don't trust God. Man, I got I to gotta work. I got to do this. I got to do that. I, I don't, you know, I've got to, I've, I've got to go and blow because if I don't, my competitors are, and I'm going to fall behind. I remember years ago, I didn't get it then. I get it now. I had a lawyer friend in Dallas. And he said, Chris, I've had to make the sacrifice to come to church every week and not to work. I said, well, that didn't make sense to me. But here's what. He worked for a law firm in Dallas. They were working seven days a week. They were working 10 hours a day. He said, you know, I had to decide whether I was going to trust that God was going to take care of my business and take care of me at that law firm or not. And for me, coming to church and putting aside everything else meant I had to trust God with my career. You know why some of you don't tithe? I know, it's Old Testament. It doesn't apply anymore. Sell that to somebody who doesn't know better. Tithing is given a 10%. It's what Christians are supposed to do to their church. It's a no-strings-attached gift. That's what, what I do, what we're supposed to do. Some people don't. They make excuses. Some are just disobedient. They know better. They just don't. Here, here's the, uh, a huge reason. We don't trust God. We don't trust God. I can't tithe. I don't have the money. And when God says, trust me, Malachi 3, throw it to me, and I will throw it back to you, and I have a bigger shovel than you have. It's a trust thing, isn't it? Some of you are in situations where you need to dig in and you need to hang in there and it's going to come down to you trusting God. Some of you are in situations you need to get out of. And it's, it, it comes down to what? Am I going to trust God? I find out what God wants me to do. Am I going to trust him enough to take care of me? As a church, we've got big things in our future one way or the other. What's it going to come down to? Finding God's will and then doing what? Trusting him and obeying him. You see, all this with Gideon, all this with Gideon, to you and me, it's a cute story. To Gideon, this was life and death. He had to trust God, and he had to prove his trust by his behavior. I love this. This isn't original with me. Someone said that faith in God is like a toothbrush. We all need our own, and we all need to use it regularly. And all God's people said, but (laughs) it's not safe to use others. (laughs) That's true. I love Zach, but if he wants to use my toothbrush, he's going to have bad breath. See, some of you are trying to live off somebody else's faith. Well, if my husband will just trust God or my wife will or if this group will in the church or... It's like a toothbrush. You need your own. Faith is proved by obeying God on his terms. 
Here's the last thing this evening. God's ways always lead to victory. Not some of the time, not part of the time, always. Victory may not be spelled out like you and I would spell it out, but it's success. Verse 21 through 25. When each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. 300 trumpets sounded. The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bathsheba toward Zerah as far as the border of Abel-Meloah near Tabitha. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. I won't read the rest of it, but they routed them. And the ones that didn't die there on the spot, they ran them down and killed them. See, what happened is they came in there at the beginning of that second watch, whether it was a little after 10 or a little after midnight. The guards were changing. The ones who had just got off guard duty were tired going back to the tents. The ones who were coming on duty had just been asleep for a few hours, and they were tired. And then all of a sudden, they they hear this terrible noise of these clay pots breaking and this loud shrill of this ram horn and they run out of their tents and they see all these lanterns glaring up in the sky and see typically when an army would go to battle only one out of maybe 10 or 20 would have a horn only one of 10 or 20 would have a torch at night because everybody else has got a weapon so they're freaking out they're seeing they're hearing all this noise and they're seeing all this light so they're thinking this has got to be hundred thousand people fixing to come down on us you had Midianites and Amalekites in the same camp they probably didn't speak the same language so you had mass confusion God is the author of psychological warfare isn't he and so these people these 135,000 people the Bible said it was like locusts they were so thick down there they began to kill each other and the ones that didn't kill each other they ran off and the Jewish people were able to run them down and to kill them God brought the victory, didn't he? How many of you believe God can still bring the victory? How many of you really and truly believe that? Well, I want to tell you he can. Verse 2 is an interesting verse. Let's go back to it. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Let me tell you, let me tell you what God's trying to do in your life and my life. God wants to do things in your life and my life that are so big, so strange, that when the victory happens, all we can do is say it came from God. Now listen, you've got to do your part. They had to go to the battlefield. They had to blow the trumpet. They had to break the jars and light the torches. But God said the victory came from him. And what God wants you and me to do is God wants us to trust him when it's strange, when it's hard, when it's difficult. He wants us to prove that trust by obeying him. And when we do that, God will bring the victory. And listen, God will bring victories in your life and in our church that are so big, when all said and done, all we can do is look up to heaven and say, praise God, that came from him. And give him the glory. I don't know what you're facing this evening, but I love that old saying, whatever lies in front of you is not greater than the God that lives inside of you. Amen? 
no matter how strange it may be, no matter how hard it may be, what lies in front of you is not greater than the God that lives in you. Trust Him, obey Him, and give Him the glory when He brings you to victory. You're here tonight, and you need to give your life to Christ. There's not a better time to do it than right now. You're here tonight, and you'd like to join our church family. One way you can do that when we stand is you can come, you can join us. Christian, maybe you want to come and just pray at the altar or let us pray with you. Or Christian, maybe this evening, tonight, you're dealing with something that you need to say to God, I will trust you and obey you. God's waiting on you to say that so he can bring the victory. Let's say it. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.